Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Mrs. Jessalyn Burden, who is the founder of Inspired Tutors. Jessalyn, how are you this evening? Hi, great. So good to be here. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the conversation? (laughs) Um, I'm Jessalyn. I actually moved to Florida about two years ago with my husband. I've been married for about two years. I have two German shepherds, so big fur baby mama. And I worked in the public school system for about two years. And then last summer, I decided to kind of go off on my own and start Inspired Tutors. I'm so excited to talk about that. Um, but before we jump into that, I'd like to have my icebreaker around. What is your favorite book or one that you would like to recommend? And people normally ask like business, professional, anything that you feel um, that like really motivated you, inspired you, that you want someone else to feel inspired and motivated? Um, I have been a big reader my entire life. Um, I love to read. I was reading, you know, a book a day as a kid, you know. And um, when I got to college, I didn't really read very much, at least not books that I enjoy. Um, I, you know, it was mostly textbooks. And so about a year ago, I got on to Book Talk, of course, and started reading all of those books. So lately, I've really just been reading novels, mm. things that, that I enjoy that people have recommended to me. And I'm also right now going through Atomic Habits, which has been really recommended to me. And it's something that, you know, I try to read a couple chapters a week and, and highlight and stuff. So that has been really encouraging because I'm having to start, you know, creating my own schedules every day, you know, I'm my own boss. So definitely Atomic Habits. I'm not finished it yet, but, but really, really good. It is a really good book. What is your fun, guilty pleasure? Um, food. I, I would say food, um, sweets. I'm a big sweet person. I'm gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant. So sweets, chocolate, you know, a little bit of candy here and there um, is something that I really enjoy. Awesome. (laughs) Who and what has been a part of your village? The podcast is a motherhood village and I know you don't have children. Um, And I always say it takes a village and it really does. And I think whether professionally, personally, even more so when you become a mom, but um, who has been an integral part of your village, both personally and now professionally? Well, I'd have to say my number one is my husband. Um, He's the one that encouraged me to do this. He has been supporting me financially as well through all of this. And then um, my parents have been there, you know, every step of the way. That's awesome. And where are you originally from? So I was um, born in um, Alberta, Canada. That's where my parents were born, raised, and married. And um, we moved to Mississippi when I was a toddler. Then in 2007, um, my parents and me and my four younger siblings moved to Romania. Wow. So I lived there um, up until 2016 when I moved back to Mississippi for college. Wow. That's, I know that's, and I, I know, um, 
So we know each other a little backstory because we're part of a great mastermind group called Inner Power Partners. And that's kind of how we met. Um, and I know you have a, that your story ties into where you're at today. So let's dive into that. Um, what was your journey of diving into a special education teacher? And then where did your love for reading and education come from? Um, it's it's kind of funny because I graduated high school in 2015 and living over in, you know, Eastern European country, college wasn't such, you know, a huge thing. It was, you know, the parents weren't um, always trying to get you to take the classes and, you know, all the things so that you could go to a good university. And um, my parents hadn't gone to college, so it wasn't a, a big thing on my mind. Um, so I took a gap year. I was the oldest of five. I wasn't ready to, you know, cross the ocean alone. Mm. Um, so I started, uh, my dad did ESL, English as a second language, um, with adults. And um, all of those adults wanted their kids to learn English from a native English speaker. So I started um, teaching younger kids English. Um, I taught piano. I, you know, volunteered at summer camps and, and things like that. Um, and then I was also homeschooled. My mom homeschooled all five of us, K through 12. Mm -hmm. So um, that with there being nine years between me and my younger sister, I, whenever I got older, I helped my mom out a lot um, with the homeschooling and school always came pretty easy for me. Um, but I had three younger brothers who um, really struggled, had ADD, ADHD, dyslexia. Um, and so my mom had to do a lot of research um, to try and help teach them the way that they needed to be taught. And so I think that's where it kind of started. Mm -hmm. And then I went to university. I got into student teaching. I actually started off just as an elementary ed major. And then after um, I got into the school, um, I realized that my university offered a dual enrollment kind of mm -hmm. program to where I could do special education as well and come out with two degrees. Wow. And um, once I started getting into the schools and just seeing those kids that were left kind of left behind sometimes or um, weren't given really what they needed. I, I, I just kind of realized I was like, I don't want to be just an, you know, an elementary ed teacher. I really want to focus on those, those really struggling children. Sure. And I know there's a lot to impact there. And um, again, I'm very fascinated with that journey, but you said Romania to go from Canada to Romania. Do you speak the language and how was the the culture shock of going there back and what did you really take from being in almost like a third world country mm -hmm. yeah and was. it comes to, so tell me some of the values you learned from there and and what was i guess one of the biggest thing like you said it was the education portion where in the united states everything is like college 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 and it's mm -hmm. your sats from young and you know um the next class and Everything really is really from elementary school, college. We have honors courses. We have National Honor Society. What was that like of being in a third world country, coming from Canada and then from there to the United States? Tell me about that experience. Well, um, so it's called, what we're called as children are called TCKs, third culture kids. And um, because my parents were raised in a culture and then we lived in the US and then we also had the Romanian culture. So outside, I was in the Romanian culture and um, as kids, we never took 
classes to learn how to speak the language we just learned on the street with the, with the kids, you know, sure. and kind of talk like natives pretty much. Um, and then basically, how did that shape you? What did you learn? What did you take from those experiences? I think it really gave me an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did not fit in whenever I moved back to the U.S. because mm-hmm. even though we had lived there for a while, my parents were Canadian and then I was homeschooled. You know, and so my parents were able to kind of shape what we were taught and stuff. So I wouldn't say I was naive, but I was a little bit um, coming from, you know, a third world country um, to the States. But I don't know. Yeah, like like how did it really like what do you look back at? Because I've been to Africa Mm -hmm. and um, we stayed in Mombasa, which is a... um, a beautiful beach town in Kenya. And that changed me completely because although it is considered a third world country, I Mm -hmm. guess, Kenya, oh my gosh, like I was blown away at the way the people lived and um, how quick my husband and I kind of settled into like, like we didn't have AC, we didn't have a running AC Mm -hmm. center. Yeah, we didn't either. You know, and we just slept with the window open. Like we, we dealt with it. The electricity would go out occasionally. All right. Well, we lit some candles and we had a beautiful time. I mean, I rode camels on the beach. Like it was fantastic. Um, and then I remember coming back and saying, um, oh my goodness, I don't want, you know, the first world problems of like worrying about my Starbucks mm-hmm. order and all the things. So that's what I mean of like looking back, how do you think maybe it shaped you of things that maybe that you appreciate and the values that you bring now into your teaching and how you work with children? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to word it. Yeah, absolutely. But um, something, well, okay, something that I did not realize coming back to the U.S. is that um, everybody uses credit cards. (laughs) And so I always wondered how people could, you know, just afford these things. Mm. Like everybody in the U.S. must be rich. Yeah. You know, I felt that and things are different. Mm -hmm. Things are different now. Um, We do have Starbucks and we're getting more malls and things like that. But definitely as a younger child, um, the focus was on on different things, very much um, community. Mm -hmm. And we were always outside with people. Romanian people are very, very hospitable and Mm -hmm. so genuine. And so I think I also took that. Sure. From, um, with people have, that have nothing, same thing in Kenya, they have nothing. And they're like, sure, here, have this. And I'm like, but you have nothing. And what are you giving Oh, me? yeah. You're some of the nicest, nicest people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, yeah, I, yeah, I've noticed a lot of that. And yeah. so I, I still am a little bit that third culture kid. I've been in the U.S. for seven years now. So I think I'm definitely a lot more American. Sure. Um, I think, I think we get acclimated to the American way, I guess per se. And I can imagine someone coming over then we, cause it's just embedded in us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just an, uh, interesting to hear how that kind of changed you, but that makes sense. Community, the children, probably a lot of playing and kids just kind of, you know, you, you have what you have and you make do with it. Right. You know? And I got really good with, um, because we traveled a lot. We were, uh, my parents were always having conferences in different countries and stuff. So I always had to be able to talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. And Good I point. think, I think that definitely helped me whenever we, whenever I moved back and I didn't know anybody and especially um, working in the schools and talking to parents, um, mm-hmm. dealing with different personalities. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, people from 
other countries. I was I was able to relate um, because in South Florida, there's a lot of people from other countries right. and bilingual children and stuff. So I was able to, um, or I am able to relate um, quite a bit to. Sure. So, okay, so now we'll fast forward, which I'm sure there's a lot in between there, but we'll fast forward to you're a teacher, you're a special education teacher. You realize, oh, wow, I want to help. But then what made you pivot from leaving basically formal education to starting Inspired Tutors? Um, I think it was two main things. It was um, passion mm -hmm. and mental health. Mm. Um, we have to touch on that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, my first year teaching um, was in Mississippi. And it was fall of 2020, if that tells you anything. Mm -hmm. So it was... Wait, you said that was your first year teaching? That was my first wow. year teaching. I wasn't able to finish my student teaching. I did half the spring semester and then it was locked down. Okay. And so everything kind of went online. So everything, you know, all of my classroom experience to where I was actually, you know, the teacher was between January and March. Wow. And... So, um, and you go on as this incredible high because high in the sense of like, no, like, absolutely. Like you're like, oh my God, this is my first, you know, I'm, I'm doing this work. I'm going to rock this school year. Yeah. And, and then, then it, COVID comes. Yeah. And so it, um, our start date kept getting pushed back and pushed back mm -hmm. and I was, you know, so stressed out. I did a little bit of summer teaching and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, all the sanit you know, sanitizing in between yes. classes and everything. Um, I got, I had a few very um, special children on my, on my caseload that year. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a lot Yeah. where, you know, for a first year teacher and then moving down here, um, I was one teacher for over 50 kids. It was, wow. It was supposed to be me and two other teachers, but they just, they couldn't find anybody. And so, you know, you hear about the teacher shortage and yeah, it's very real, very, very real. And so, you know, I would be called to meetings or I would be called to sub. And, you know, as the ESE or the special education teacher, I have a legal, you know, obligation to give these children their interventions and meet with them a certain amount of times per week. And it is on their IEP, you know, it is legal. Sure. And I wasn't able to, it was absolutely impossible. So I'm going to stop you right there because I want to paint this picture for the listeners. So ESE, um, and what does that mean again? Exceptional student education. Exactly. So I went um, as part of the Rotary Club to volunteer for ESE, um, uh, classroom down in sunrise and I was blown away because I had never seen the actuality of what ESE teachers have to go through um, and how they're kind of considered as like she's like yeah this is what we're working with and there's a lot of sensory things with these children so mm -hmm. you telling me that you're one for 50 when she told me she has like a case teacher and she has all these things is is bananas to me because I just have one child who <laughs> you know is five years old and you know, whatever, but he has his moments and he's not an ESE, you know, or a, a special challenge young man. And I could not even imagine being one of 50. So I just kind of want to paint that picture for those who don't know. And to your point, a lot of these children do have special needs of the, really one of the big one is the sensory. I know that's oh, yeah, huge. Absolutely. Um, 
And some of them, aren't they older too? They were- Yeah, I had um, K through five. So I had pretty much the whole school. Um, they were all considered inclusion. So they were, or most of them were in a regular classroom. So I would um, push in and pull out um, for, for interventions wow. and stuff. But, you know, for ELA and then for math, they had to be seen two to three, two to four times per week. Sure. Um, And then even dealing with the parents. And I say that because, again, in talking to this particular teacher, she said one of the difficulties was some of the parents would be in denial or particularly think that the teacher is supposed to solve all of the problems (laughs) or help with all of the issues that their child has without possibly taking responsibility. And hey, look, you know, again, I know there's single moms, there's parents with multiple children, and and I can understand the challenging aspect of having a child with some special need or a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we shared that and she was like, it's a lot. So speak on, because then you eventually left. So I, I can understand why, <laughs> you know, we don't have to maybe dive into all of that. But I know you mentioned mental health. What was it particularly that affected your mental health that you were like, that you felt like you did, that you were like, okay, enough is enough. I cannot do this anymore. I think um, one of the big big reasons was the guilt because Mm -hmm. I, I have a huge passion for helping these kids and I can see how much they need, Mm -hmm. you know? And when I really wasn't able to give them what they needed, you know, there weren't, there just weren't enough hours in the day. Um, I, I would go home and I would just, I would feel guilty, you know, because it, it is the IEPs, the individual education plans, their legal documents and then, you know, I'm, I was a newlywed. I kind of am still a newlywed, yeah. you know. Um, and I would get home, you know, take the dogs out, cook dinner, and go to bed because I was so mentally and physically exhausted. And so I got to see my husband, like, you know, an hour or two during the day. Okay. And so that was another another big reason. I was like, I really need to focus on my family right now. Sure. And then when you made the decision to leave, did you have a plan on what you're going to do with Inspired Tutors? Or was it something that came afterwards that you're like, listen, for my mental health and I'll figure it out? Or did you kind of have an idea of why you were in it? We, um, so actually during COVID, my husband built me a website and we had actually talked about doing something like this before I even got into the public school system. I'm very glad that I did sure. get into the public school system. Just, you know, I could just you get in. Yeah, absolutely. I, everything. I think every door, every opportunity is a reason for something. And I don't think anything is ever a waste of time. No, absolutely you know? not. And so I'm really glad that I did that. And um, the beginning of last year is, you know, we were really struggling um, I was really struggling, you know, mentally and everything. And my husband was like, you have the website. He was like, why don't you just go for it? I knew that I wanted it to be virtual and I knew that I wanted to focus on those ESE kids. Obviously, you know, I have worked and will work with any struggling child. Sure. But I just felt like there needed to be something out there that was specifically, you know, for, sure. you know, not just, you know, a lot of people are looking for, tutors that will, you know, oh, can you help my kid with this homework assignment or something like that. And, you know, I've worked with so many children who are like three and four grade levels behind and they, they just can't get caught up because, you know, they're having to 
work on the homework that they're given, Sure, you know? And so, you know, if they're in fifth grade, but they're really struggling on phonics and vowel sounds because they never really got that foundation, like that's what I wanted to focus on. Sure. And do, what do you think is so, and, and I think I know why I spoke with a um, speech, speech pathologist. Um, so we talked about that and the importance mm-hmm. of reading. And in my mind, I think reading is the foundation for a lot of different things. Absolutely. Critical thinking. And I, I'll let you talk that because I know you, you of what you do with, with inspired tutors. Um, but I do want to just ask one question. In your opinion, what do you think would have let, kept you staying at the school? What needed to change and what is more needed for support for the teachers and students in a high level, just in your opinion, if you've been like, if I had this, I think it would have made it easier or teachers really need this. I mean, really the biggest thing was the teacher shortage. Mm. If I had had, so technically what it was supposed to be, there's supposed to be three of us. I was supposed to have like K through two. So I would have had about 15 or 20 students. Sure. That would have been completely doable. Um, I had a great principal and assistant principal and our ESE coordinator was amazing. So I definitely did have that support that a lot of other teachers don't. Um, That and then, I mean, I'm just going to say, it. you know, the pay. Of course. Um, Because living in South Florida, you know, I didn't want to get stuck to where, um, you know, I'm. I've been teaching for 20 years. I only have five years yeah. left and I'm just staying for the pension. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be able to start something that could eventually grow and support my family so that I can work from home when we have children. And sure. You know. No. And I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think there was an article I saw the other day that a teacher said that she left teaching and now works dare I say Costco or Walmart making, because <laughs> she said she that. made more benefits and money in her, the area she was at. And I'm like, how are we here in this time of the world that, you know, someone who deals with children in and out. I remember we had, when um, my son was born, we had a nanny. We were very fortunate. It was a friend of a friend that knew someone. And I told my husband, I was like, yeah, I heard we could give her like time off. And he's like, why? I'm like, <laughs> because she's taking care of our child. I yeah. want her to have a mental health day. I want her to know, no, if you, and he was like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And I'm like, yes, like she's taking care of my child. Mm-hmm. So to my, to that same mind frame of mindset of saying they're taking care of the net, you're taking care of the next generation, like more support and more respect is needed. Um, because then if the parents are busting their butt trying to work three jobs and then the parent, then who's taking care of these exactly. kids? But that can be a whole nother, <laughs> another yeah. podcast. So I want to bring it in. Um, so the reading part, what made you focus on the reading and how impactful is it for parents to read to their children and how early should they start? Why, why the reading aspect of it? I think it's really just the foundation of, of academics, of life, yeah. you know, um, start reading I want to read to my kid when I'm pregnant you know in the womb they they need to be they need to be hearing that you know it's it expands their vocabulary um it gives them critical thinking skills um you can it is so easy to pick out a child who reads at home or has had their parents read to them, there's such a huge difference just in, in really all aspects of their academics and even social. Sure. No, I agree. 
credit to my husband. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader and I think my husband gotten an, into an avid reader when he's older. Cause he was like one of those students that like slept during class, but he was a student who, <laughs> but he was a student who didn't learn by teaching. Right. And he would pass his test because he's like, I don't learn that way. I'd rather go home, read it. And then I got it. Yep. So anyway, but we're both readers. And that was one thing we said that we wanted to do for our little guy. And I mean, my son, like I said, he's five and he's been speaking clearly and with a vocabulary, I think since he's two years old. Oh yeah, and I'm the not speech pathologist will tell you that as well. Oh yeah. He's like actually, and technically, and I think even more so is the critical thinking because I try, I really do try not all the time. And for the moms listening, no, when it's a rough night, I'm like, listen, dude, like we have two seconds and we're done. But <laughs> yeah. when, when things are going smooth and in serious, in all seriousness, like I'm like, oh, well, why do you think that's like that? And you know, yeah, what do you think questions. is this? Asking questions, like it's mind blowing the difference that makes. Um, so yes, yeah, so was there anything else you wanted to say as far in the reading aspect? Before um, I, I mean, that's kind of because, because I know there are so many um, working parents where both of them are working, yes. they don't have a lot of Good time. Mm -hmm. So um, that's actually the reason I started my YouTube channel. Yes, talk um, about that. I didn't really expect to be making a YouTube channel. I, you know, get anxiety. My sister has had a YouTube channel since she was like, 10 I oh think. my god and she's so good in front of the camera you know she's very comfortable and I'm I'm just not you know mm -hmm. and I was working with a student and we were working on vowels and vowel sounds and you know I just came up with a quick little thing where we would say you know the vowel vowel sound in a word and we would just kind of like pound it out on the table you know sure and um, I was like you know I'm just gonna film myself doing this, um, put it on YouTube and then add it to my website. Mm -hmm. And, um, I kind of started all with that series with short vowels and long vowels. And then I started doing, um, just read alouds because maybe, you know, parents don't have time to read to their children. So I didn't want to just have the book on the screen. I wanted to be me in a chair with the book showing the pictures as if you were right in front of them exactly and they started just getting a lot of views and i was like wow. okay so maybe like you know this is something that people need and so i'm going to continue with it so every month i'll kind of um pick a different thing to focus on sure. um right now we're working on certain high frequency words like i just have this little decodable reader i have a whiteboard behind me That's awesome we do the the words and then um i'll put the book under my camera and i'll literally like point out the words and have them read it and then i'll say it you know like i'm actually so that there's something out there for for parents who maybe don't have enough no time. i think that's brilliant and have you gotten any feedback from them have you gotten any feedback of them saying you know like you know in the comments like oh my god this was so helpful or thank you for this or um more in person um wow. right now i think it's because my settings are for children they don't allow the comments oh that's good so okay. there, there's no negativity there no, there's no, no that's awesome but no that's great to know that you have an impact that way and that's genius because yeah there's unfortunately there are the parents who don't have that time and again very very fortunate that my husband and i both can be there for the most part during during bedtime and, and to read. Um, why is it so important for parents to get involved though with their children's academics? Again, I know we say it's busy, but and, and for busy parents and for single parents, but why is it so important for them to get involved in some aspect of their children's academics? Um, you, this is another thing you can tell, you know, in the school which children have, because if the parents care, 
a lot of the times the children care. And I'm not saying, you know, because there are, there are some parents that I've seen that, you know, just ground their kids if they get a B or, you know, like put a lot of pressure. And then you have eight year olds with terrible test anxiety and yeah, it's a whole thing. You know, that's a whole, whole other thing. Um, it's crazy, but you know, there's confidence. Sure. They, they have confidence in, in what they're doing. Um, they're not afraid to fail. And I feel like they just all around do better. You know, they really do. What could you say? Um, and I I just asked this because I'm in a lot of the mom groups on social media and (laughs) I am too. And you see a lot of like the things about teachers and Mm -hmm. this teacher, what would you say to a parent who wants to maybe connect with their teacher? Right. Like what should they do to make sure that there's a connection there? And it's not like, okay, you're watching my kid and bye. Cause I think that would make a difference. No, it does. Um, because I had, um, parents where I would tell them, Hey, you know, email me or, you know, sometimes I would give a parent a phone call, even if like one of my students had a really good day, like, Hey, I, and so it definitely goes both ways. And I think you have to have the mindset of we're a team. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes the teachers are like, oh, you're just the parent. You don't know anything. And sometimes it's, you know, vice versa. Versa, correct, you know? yeah. And so I think knowing that that you're a team, reaching out, um, you know, always being open to, you know. Feedback. Feedback, exact, and both ways. Sure. You know, the teacher should. You know, yeah. I have had plenty of, you know, IEP meetings where we'll ask the parent Hey, you know, what are you seeing that works at home that we can do in the classroom so that we're all on the same page? And when the kid knows that the teacher and the parent is on the same page, it it really No, and I I love that of looking at it as a team. And I think in any relationship, parent-child, parent-spouse, friendships. Absolutely our parents, our grandparents and teacher, you have to think if there's something you're trying to do together, we're a team. And then how are we going to solve this together? I and think respect. To, and respect. Oh yeah. That's a whole <laughs> other. And I was going to say, instead of going in with the, on both sides of maybe a little like confrontational or defensive. Um, and I think both sides need to kind of understand each other's position a little bit better to kind of go. And I think just got to lead with compassion and empathy for both yes. sides. Right. I think nobody knows what's maybe going in that child's life behind closed doors in the home and vice versa because teachers are human right you have your right. own problems and you have your own thing <laughs> and they also have 20 to 30 other children and Correct. they're doing personalities and things exactly oh, yeah. so thank you for highlighting that um should schools offer more bilingual studies and classes do you think do you think they're because I, I have an issue my son goes to a bilingual preschool mm-hmm. and in my mind i'm like we wait till like we're in high school to have to take foreign language or whatever class. I'm like, that should be when we're younger so that it can sustain. Like yeah. I've forgotten all of my years of Spanish in high school. So, I know. Yeah. You know? I took Spanish and French in high school as well. Um, definitely. I, the school that I worked at was um, a dual language school. And so the kids would have, you know, morning in Spanish and afternoon in English. And then the next day it would switch. And it was crazy to see how they could, switch back and forth, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was able to do that as, as a kid, you know, it, it really helps them out. But there's also a downside when a child has a learning disability, because if they're not strong in one language, maybe the language that they speak at home, they can get really confused and just plummet on the English side and the other side. Mm -hmm. 
so I've had to, you know, take children out of the the dual language part and sure. put them just in the English or just in the Spanish so that they can really flourish in one language. And then maybe, you know, in middle school, go back. But for for kids who, you know, in general, for, yeah. right. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's great. I loved being able to. Do you still speak? Do you still speak? I I do. I'm actually reading a book in Romanian right now just because I don't, I don't want to lose it. Awesome. Um, But I'm jealous of my sister who moved there when she was one and is now 17. Oh, so she has has it. Yeah. And I think there, I think there's something beautiful of being able to speak multiple languages, which I wish again, we did from with our children from young. And especially Latin based because, you know, working in a Spanish speaking school, I can understand you yeah. know, quite a bit. Sure. And then my parents learned French living in Canada. Wow, and beautiful. so just especially a Latin based language, it gives you, you know, opportunity to learn much more. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So tell me all the services that you provide with inspired tutors and where people can find you. Okay. So my website is inspiredtutors.org. Um, I'm on all the social medias, um, Facebook and Instagram, and they're just inspire tutors as well as as well as um the youtube um so pre-k through six um it's all virtual and i try to focus more on those foundational skills so reading writing and math okay um and people can reach out to you on your website they can book consultation yes um we do a, a i do a free consultation just to kind of see if um we're a good fit for each other pretty much um you know, if I'm what you're looking for and if you're what I'm looking for, you know, sure. um, which is important. Yes, it is. I've, I've realized that is, you know, starting my own business that I, I can't do that, yeah, you know, being sure. my own boss, you know? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, the start off, I've, you know, got my email on there and then there's also just a, a contact us button awesome. at, the, at the bottom. there. So. And when should people, when should people start looking for a tutor? And, you know, the benefits of the one-on-one tutoring, like when should they before, obviously I would imagine before it's too late, but Mm -hmm. when should they start reaching out to saying, I think I need to hire you? Um, If they're in a regular, a regular class, you can usually kind of tell by, you know, the end of the first nine weeks, Mm -hmm. how they're doing, if they're struggling, if they're falling behind and stuff. So definitely, you know, whenever you start noticing that there's kind of a trend, um, or, you know, if you know you're child has a learning disability and they're just already behind you know like I'm working with a student right now he's in fifth grade but he's more on a second grade math level and so we just start on the second grade and we're gonna any growth is growth sure you know um nice (laughs) and then what are ways that you I always love to ask this question um because I think it's so important then just to say like, what do you do for self-care? But what do you do to release? What do you do to reset? And what do you do to recharge yourself? Now that you are kind of like you said, you know, you're trying to get your schedules. What do you do for yourself? Because I because I could imagine you're now running a business, right? It's mm-hmm. different now. Yes, yeah, um, There's more things that you have to be on top of and, <laughs> you know, marketing and YouTube channels and all the things. So what do you do for yourself? Um, I mean, the main thing is reading and sometimes I'll try to take an hour in the middle of the afternoon just to read even if it's just a novel you know just to get out of my head I have a lot of anxiety and Mm -hmm. I'm in my head a lot and so sometimes I have to do that um I love 
listening to music or watching a show and cooking. I love, I love to just get in the kitchen, put my headphones in and detach. And then um, I really love working out. That's become whatever I was in the public school. I was doing a lot of, you know, yoga and Pilates and stuff. And um, I started lifting weights last year. So that's also, you know, kind of recharges me, you know, gets me out of my head. And I feel so much better, you know, when I've worked out in the morning, I just feel like I'm ready for my day. That's awesome. Um, Jessalyn, do you have any final thoughts to the podcast community, maybe to a mother listening now, maybe that has a children who might be having some issues with reading or anything, any encouraging words or any final thoughts that you want to share? Yeah. um, I mean, I don't have children of my own, but I think, you know, just follow your instinct and follow your gut, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's nothing wrong with tutoring. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with quote unquote labels. You know, I feel like if you can get any type of help to help your child succeed, then it's, it's only positive, you know, it's, you know, maybe they get an ADHD diagnosis or dyslexia or anything, but that doesn't define who they are, you know, hundred percent. And so, yeah, just, (laughs) <laughs> follow follow your instinct. No, I love head. that. And actually, that's a really good point because I think there are a lot of misconceptions behind there tutoring are. and a lot of negative connotations that are associated with tutoring. So I'm glad that you said that. So for any mom listening, um, I, I, I like that you said that, that like, it's okay. It's just going to help them. And, you know, your child can be an amazing reader, but maybe math or can be, you know, amazing at this. I know there was something I could never do because um, I was really good at um um, math and reading, mm-hmm. but, um, not ge- chemistry. Oh, jeez! I couldn't yeah. understand it for like the Don't life ask of me. me anything, nothing. I mean, I went literally went from, you know, and I struggled with that. And to the point it kind of played with my mind. Cause I was like, why am I not getting this? But I wish someone would have told me back then, like, it's okay. You're not going to be perfect at well, everything. And the, the learning styles, you Correct. know, that's, that is that's, true. you could go into a whole another thing about learning styles. And that's something I've I've tried to talk about a little bit on my social media Sure, is, you know, I was a visual learner. I was really good at reading and writing math. Not so much. Sure. Um, my brother was auditory, you know, he could literally listen to something and he would do better than me on a test, you know? And so taking, taking the learning styles into account is, is huge. And your child doesn't have to be amazing at everything because who is. Who oh my God. Yeah. I love that. And it's so true. And I think what I'm very happy of is like, there's a lot of micro schools and homeschools. And I know we didn't talk about that too much, but, um, I love the emergence of the micro schools, the homeschooling, the homeschooling pods, mm-hmm. um, because it's breaking away from the traditional learning environment, which to your point, not everybody learns that way. Right, like, And it I, focuses on the child's strengths and and their weaknesses a hundred percent and i think i had someone tell me they're like yeah but then you're making them this and i'm like no i'm like if you're focusing on your strengths and then knowing where your weaknesses lie and you can Mm -hmm. help there it's only going to help the child more especially if you're giving that one-on-one care that right exactly um i I always like to talk about this um quick mention before we part here i had a a woman who was on my podcast and she was an OBGYN. her husband was i think an anesthesiologist so both doctors and Um, They had four children, I want to say under the age of maybe like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, And she just saw that they were developing differently. Her one daughter like 
traditional writing boom. Her mm-hmm. other son loved music and and she just saw that she was getting a lot of notes. Like he, he wasn't sitting still and there were things. Um, and then her situation, she's um, Haitian and her husband's white. And she was like, in her mind, she was like, oh, I didn't want them to be the black child in the classroom mm-hmm. that got, you know, um, reprimanded more or that was, right. you know, because they're acting out when it's not the behavior. It's just because he's not he's not learning this way. Well, and children aren't meant to sit in a desk for seven Correct. hours a day. <laughs> so what she did is she quit her OBGYN job, became a homeschooling, wow. which her whole family were like, what are you doing? You went to school. All four of her children graduated from Ivy League schools. Wow. And in the conversation that actually I'll send that to you because it was a really amazing conversation and how she did that. And her one son, she allowed him in the morning to have music. And her daughter started a traditional, let's say like nine to three. And she did the the order of everything, but her son who was, who loved music and everything, she would allow him to do that first. One of my brothers, he would start off with, and he's amazing on the piano now, like way better than I ever was. But he started off the day with, with music because he, he really struggled with, you know, focusing or, Oh yeah, absolutely. So there is something there. Um, and I was just blown away at the story because she was like, I had to really advocate for my children. And she's like, now, obviously not everyone can leave their job to do that. Um, so she was very fortunate, but she was like, I did just didn't want my children to become another statistic and then drop out because it's frustrating when it really was just to your point, they didn't learn that way or they couldn't get it. And Um, they're not going to be become antisocial or anything like that. Yes. You know, people are always, oh, you were, you were homeschooled. You I don't know. seem like a homeschooler. But I think also, well, I, I'm older than you. So I think that generation of back then, it just was what it was. Very few people homeschooled. Right, and it absolutely. had the connotation of like almost Little House on the Prairie. Yes. <laughs> Do you no, know that show? Yes. Oh yes. I love that show. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah. And my mom, and I remember growing up, you know, watching it. And I think it just had that connotation, like mm-hmm. as if it's in like the backwoods of somewhere, right. which we know it's not. So to see it emerge, and I think COVID has pushed it, I think yes. is a beautiful thing because then I think more children will thrive Yes, for that sure. maybe back then of the, a lot of dropouts and stuff were because they were challenged and I didn't realize they had dyslexia or didn't realize they had other things, but it is a lot of work it and is. you have to do a lot of research and all of that. So it's yeah. not just, well, for those listening, parenting is hard. And I, that is the hardest part <laughs> about parenting is that because it is so hard um, and you really have to advocate for your children mm-hmm. when you're still trying to figure out your own <laughs> stuff. Um, but Jessalyn, this has been an absolutely absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I will put all of your information in the show notes where people can find you. So thank you. And um, I'm just thankful to share your message and continue to do what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.